The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Kareen Eldor. Ever feel like you're playing small? Well, turn up the volume on my podcast, Share a Voice. Every Thursday, I sit down with the wave makers and game changers on everyone's radar. I'll be sharing inspo and takeaways based on my conversations with disruptors, visionaries, and compelling creatives about how they express themselves in their work. Prepare for tons of mic drop moments and subscribe so that you catch every soundbite. I'm fascinated by the power of feeling heard and taking up space. And I'm amped up about sharing these conversations with you. I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra, the Optimism Doctor, and this is Looking Up, a place where you can expect to find raw, transparent storytelling. Listen in to learn real science-based techniques to cultivate more optimism, resiliency, and authentic joy from artists, athletes, experts, and many more. Imagine sitting in your car, stopped at a red light, pumping breast milk while on the phone getting a deal done. Legal documents are on your lap. You're rushing to get your oldest child to school on time while making sure your newborn in the back is safe and happy. You already went to the grocery store. You dropped off the groceries at home. And right now in this very moment at this red light, you look at your phone because you have a new text. It's your partner and it just reads, oh, I'm surprised you didn't get the blueberries. Yup. You can imagine that when my guest on today's episode of Looking Up received those words on what she refers to as blueberry day, she just about lost it. Women are responsible for two thirds or more of what it takes to run a household and a family. A recent statistic revealed that across the world, women do $10.9 trillion of unpaid labor every year. And a Harvard study recently published indicated that women do most of all the cognitive labor, the conception and planning of life in a partnership. We are dying over decision fatigue and chaos. There may be comfort at home, but most of our homes are lacking an organization with no real system in place. Do you have a system in your home? Do you and your partner have clearly defined expectations and well-defined roles? Is there fairness and transparency? My guest on today's episode of Looking Up, Eve Rodsky, says that couples rarely, if not ever, are able to answer yes to all three of these very important questions, and she's made it her life's work to change that. Eve Rodsky is working to change society one marriage at a time by coming up with a new 21st century solution to an age-old problem, women shouldering the brunt of child-rearing and domestic life responsibilities, regardless of whether they work outside the home. In her book, Fair Play, she uses her Harvard Law School degree and years of organizational management experience to create a life management system to help couples both rebalance all of the work it takes to run a home and reimagine their relationship, time, and purpose. We talked all about the invisible work that we do, actually making a shit-I-do spreadsheet, the idea of unicorn spaces, and why we were all guilty of deeming men's time as finite like diamonds and women's time as infinite like sand. And well, how and why we can and should put an end to the major misconceptions and lies that we are fed about the gender division of labor. Gosh, I needed to hear everything in this episode. And I have a feeling you do too. Okay, so... The way that I start each episode is just a rapid fire questions, not a lot of thought behind them. First thing that comes to your mind, just as a way to kind of create some intimacy and kind of get to know you as a human and other facets of your life and sort of even the playing field as kind of, I'd say for our listeners and for myself, it's just because I'm super curious and voyeuristic and I just want to know these things. (laughs) Okay. So Eve... What is a book or a quote or some advice that you have read or heard that has actually changed your life? And I guess it could be your own book too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I'll start with Rosa Parks because I think about her role in the social justice movement. What she said was, when your mind is made up, I'm paraphrasing here, when your mind is made up, it diminishes the fear. And I think that's really important because I think as women raise our voices for things that are anti the systems that we've grown up in or that we've conditioned to believe are the way things have to be, there can be a lot of fear there. There was a lot of fear for me as I started to unpack my research into what is called the gender division of labor. 
but I remember my mind was made up. Mm-hmm. So it diminished the fear of coming out and using my voice publicly. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. I like that. Okay. Next one. People think I'm blank, but I'm actually blank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People think I'm even keeled. My rising is Libra, but I'm actually super fiery <laughs> and have crazy rage and moods because <laughs> my sun sign is Scorpio. Mm. My moon is Cancer. So I'm full of water, completely full of water. I love that. I love some good fire. Describe yourself as a teenager in three words. Grill, wearing, white, appropriating, hip-hop, culture, fanatic. (laughs) I love it. Where'd you grow up? I grew up on Avenue C and 14th Street in the 80s and 90s at the beginning of hip-hop culture, which was a very interesting time to be there. And actually, what many people don't know about me is because I became sort of obsessed with this idea of white people and their relationship to hip hop culture. I ended up writing a 500 page thesis for my undergraduate work at the University of Michigan in anthropology on the white appropriation of hip hop culture. Amazing. Wow. Do you still have that? I'm sure you do. I do. I, still, I have I do. my thesis undergrad and my dissertation just like sitting there. And I often think I should go back to it, but I would actually love to read that sometime. So when's the last time you cried? Uh, I would say last week uh, when my son, we've been having a lot of important conversations around anti-racism in our house. We've had them since they were, my kids are born. I believe that you start introducing hard concepts early, but I cried when my younger son somehow through access to his iPad or whatever, he ended up seeing the George Floyd video. That's not how we typically do things in our house. We try to not fetishize the harming of black bodies, but he happened to have seen that. I don't know. We're still not sure exactly how he got the link, but How old is he? Sorry, you said? He's eight. He's eight years old. So that led to a long conversation that produced a lot of just sadness and tears. And my middle son is a highly sensitive child. So, you know, the fact that he's introduced to what our society could do to people, I'd say that was the last time probably that we Mm -hmm. cried collectively together. Okay. Switching it up. Three things that have made you happy or brought you joy today. My iced tea. I am a huge... (laughs) lover of iced tea. It's one of my unicorn spaces. We'll talk about that. I'm obsessed with this idea of one day becoming a master uh, tea master. (laughs) Definitely iced tea brings me joy. Taking a walk with that highly sensitive child today. We took a walk into town this morning, which was really nice. And watching my older son's women in space project that he did for his fifth grade, uh, they called Fifthsonian, where they have to talk about an important subject. And I was supposed to be speaking at NASA on work-life integration to the astronauts and to the amazing female engineers and also their male allies. um, And also men who are parents who have sacrificed and people don't ask them about that. So that was really exciting. I was supposed to go to NASA and because we couldn't do it, my son decided for his project, he would do women in space. I was bursting with pride and joy watching him present women in space uh, today to his class. That I will so cool. say it was the best. It was the best presentation of this whole class. Of course. But again, I may be biased because I'm <laughs> Okay, last song you listened to. Sail Away by, or Orinco Flow by Enya. Mm-hmm. Because I, I was working with my kids this morning on some of their writing. And so they like to listen to Enya when they write. They said it relaxes oh. them. <laughs> Very concentric day. Mine was Keep Your Head Up by Tupac. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> One more little question. Are you an optimist? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Cool. cool. I love That's it. why I love your work. I love <laughs> your work. Okay. I can't wait to get into fair play with you for so many reasons, but one of the main reasons is because I feel like I'm sure so many people can, can say this, but I am a living, breathing example of someone that could highly benefit from all of your work and research. Uh, My husband and I uh, both are full-time workers. I'm an entrepreneur. He works in the executive sort of function of a media company, and we have a toddler at home. And 
I would love to get more into all of this, but also how much of the stuff that you talk about, and we're going to get into this later, really changed or became more important during this pandemic and with parents staying at home and working from home and often just doing it, the two of them and, and, you know, having to homeschool kids and do all of it. I know for us, it's been a challenge to say the least. And of course, also grateful for and knowing all the privilege that we have, that we even have, you know, the food to cook that sometimes I'm irritated having to cook or, you know, the endless sanitization of groceries that take up so much time and also so grateful that I even have groceries, et cetera, and grateful that I have a husband um, that is and a partner that is hands-on, but sometimes I'm just so beyond irritated. (laughs) Um, So knowing all that, and I think where I kind of want to start is how did this all come about for you? And I'm sure, and I've read a little bit, and I know that there is some personal story here that brought you and inspired you to writing Fair Play and really developing the system. And what is our exact moment that really inspired you to to pursue this and, and go through all the research that you did and create this? Funny how things work out, right? I mean, it, there are these sort of meta days in your life where you feel like you may be hitting rock bottom that change the trajectory of what's going to happen to you. But at the time, you can't see that. And as I write in Fair Play, you, know, you can't make this shit up, right? Mm-hmm. Whole journey, this eight-year journey to understand the gender division of labor, quote unquote, as, it call, as it's called, started with a text that Seth sent me that just said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. Mm. And the reason why I think it's important to bring up that text, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries, mm. is because you can picture the scene. It feels similar to how now feels, mm-hmm. or at least it did to me back then. It was a day where for me, time continuum was collapsing on myself. I had just had my second son. Typically, second children come with a lot more understanding or stress or resentment, especially in heterosis gender couples, because maybe with one child, you feel like having it all does mean doing it all, and you can barely do that. Mm-hmm. But that second child really throws that wrench in. So I had just had my second son, Ben. I had opted out of the traditional workforce. And I say that in quotes because I subsequently learned that blaming myself is, is not what you do. The systems that push me out, we'll talk more about those. I'd opted out of the traditional workforce and somehow naively thought running my own firm would give me more time and flexibility. So I had a client contract that was on my lap. As I was driving, as I was getting this text, so picture the scene, breast pump diaper bag on the passenger seat of the car. I had gifts for a newborn baby to return the back seat of the car. Client contract on my lap with a pen that was literally stabbing me in the vagina every time <laughs> I, I hit my brakes, trying to mark that up. Racing to get my older son, Zach, who was three at the time, at his toddler transition program. And amidst of all this chaos, again, where space and time did feel like it was collapsing on me, I think similar to a lot of women that tell me that they are feeling that type of anxiety and stress today. I get this text from Seth, my husband that said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. And for me, it was, it it hit me so hard that I had to pull over. Mm -hmm. I pull over to the side of the road, which in LA, as you know, we don't do that lightly because of traffic, we try to get places. Yes. So you, you don't often see people pulling over. But I pulled over and I just started crying. I started crying to myself, thinking that I used to be able to manage employee teams. Mm -hmm. And now I can't even manage a grocery list. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, how had I become the default, or as I call in fair play, the she fault for literally every single household and domestic task in my family? It wasn't supposed to be that way. I'm a product of a single mother. And I had vowed from an early age that I would not have this happen to me. Uh, seven years old, they called me a parental child where I'd help my mother with a chemical bank checkbook. I remember the checkbook, write out her checks so we wouldn't be late for rent, so we wouldn't get eviction notices. I'd vowed that I would have an equal partner in my life. And on top of that, I'm a Harvard-trained mediator and lawyer. I'm literally trained and double-trained and triple-trained uh, through all the uh, extra continuing legal education that you do to communicate. So I kept thinking to myself, this burden probably happening to other women. Good news for fair play, right? But the terrible news for society is that Mm -hmm. it's happening to uh, women all across the world. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is or your ethnicity. Um, It's really in many, many degrees. Of course, there's huge disparities, but it's happening to to 
to all of us, this idea that women hold two thirds or more of what it takes to run a home and family. That's a statistic I was undeniably living, but I didn't know at the time. And another statistic I think is important to call out that I did not know at the time is that across the world, women do $10.9 trillion of unpaid labor every year. I heard that too. And I, since having my child, I fully believe it now. Like I get it. And that's really like brings us to that topic of invisible work. And it's interesting, but literally all of my girlfriends, my mom friends across the board, no matter where they live, if they are not in this country, not we've spoken and, and talked and everyone was going through the same thing. You're so right of like, why does it feel like, you know, my husband's doing less. And it became this like tit for tat. And I'm the first one to admit I'm very tit for tatty, if that's a thing, tit (laughs) for tatty with my husband. And especially since, I mean, only since having a kid really like very much like this Mm -hmm. is the things that I'm doing. And, and one of my girlfriends, and now that I think about it, I wonder if it's something, I wonder if she actually saw your shit. I do spreadsheet because this was a couple of years have. ago. Yeah. She may have. And she literally, we have a group text. So there's six of us girls that we all know each other because our ex-boyfriends used to play on the same soccer league. And so we still call <laughs> ourselves that. the soccer girls. And everyone's like, do you guys play soccer? No, we've never played. We do not play soccer, but we were just the soccer girls. And all of us have since married different people and our mothers now, all of us, and we still have a group text called the soccer girls. And we try to compare notes and support each other. And the cool thing is we all have a different group of friends and we all do very different things professionally, but like that is what sort of brought us together. And now they're my best girlfriends and we were talking and all of us were going through the same thing and so much resentment. And one of my girlfriends said, you know, I think it'd be a great idea if you just one day spent some time writing down every single thing you do, the things that you don't even think about that you do and put them down because they're actual things you're doing and they are taking up your time and show them to your husband. And I started like listing things out even, and she was like, don't even forget to list out, I don't know, something like uh, what car seat you know, mm-hmm. should, should I get mm-hmm. for my son next? And the, the, all the research I put into that, you know, just some of that stuff too. And I was, cause I, cause my husband was even like, what is taking up so much of your time? And that question was going to make me want to just lose it. It's <laughs> similar to the blueberry thing. Or like when yes, it's just like, yes. you're still preheating the oven, you know, like that happened the other day. Uh, absolutely. So. It's, it's, but it's a privilege, right? It's a privilege. Yeah. Yes. It's a privilege yes. to not understand the question. And I think that's what I learned about interviewing men and women um, or any type of privilege. When you don't understand the question, when you really have no idea what that person is doing, where on your text chain, it is so obvious. You don't even have to say what it is. That's the, to me, the ultimate definition of privilege. Yes. And also I thought what was interesting is when we did that exercise, I mean, honestly, to be completely candid. It didn't last. We didn't follow it up with much. It was just a way that I I felt like for a moment I got, I was seen and heard, but what did kind of come from it though, was he did something similar. And I didn't realize, I actually didn't realize a lot of the things he was doing that was invisible too. I mean, I still think I was doing a lot more, <laughs> but there were things he was doing too that were invisible. And it kind of made me put on my psychologist hat and be like, wait, what, like, where did we go wrong in sort of not communicating some of these things? And a lot of this gets swept underneath the rug and built up. And so much about this, because I want to talk to you also, first, I want to talk to you about this invisible, the invisible work and the spreadsheet and how that came about and how it went literally viral. I also want to talk about this idea a little bit later, because I feel like we have some of this in common, but I'm an optimism doctor and this is what I do for a living is I help people raise and increase their optimism and resiliency and hope. And it's not about blanket statement affirmations and it's not about just simply asking the universe for something and having it drop into your lap. It's about doing (laughs) real work and making real mindset shifts and, and all of that. And so a lot of times I feel like it's hard for me to take my own advice 
And so I want to talk a little bit about that too, kind of like your breaking point when you pulled over. You're like, I literally do this for a living. I, you know, manage X, Y, and Z and blah, blah, blah. And here I am, like, this is happening to me. And so kind of letting that go and realizing that like, also while you are doing the work and you may be an expert in X, Y, and Z, you're also just a human. And we are all connected in that. And so even though it's like you said, something really fucked up for society, it's also something that brings us together. And at least like none of us are going through this alone. Absolutely. Well, that was it. I think you just hit on so many things. So let me see if I can yes. address what you just said, because there's so many important points. One is this idea of invisible work. Yeah. Everybody, every woman starts with a list. So I'm not any different. I'm human. I thought that I would research the subject. So I started that day when I realized I did not have the career and marriage combo I thought I was going to have. And I was watching women all over, strong women, just like you and me. And right after the Blueberries Day, I went on a breast cancer march with some of my closest friends. And these are women that have the strongest voices. Award-winning movie producer with us that day. There was a stroke and trauma doctor with us that day, a CEO of a nonprofit organization that day. And we're marching, I remember this day for courage, strength, and power, and not just a female problem. And it's for um, all of us who had lost people to breast cancer, including my good friend from law school. And we are feeling so empowered until noon, literally at noon. I was more woke to this, right? Because what I love about your work is the mindset changes. And we'll talk about how fair plays a practice and why lists alone don't work. But right after that day, similar to your soccer girls chain, I watched all of these powerful women respond to their partners. We're talking about the hetero cisgender uh, women yes. in this group, where at noon, the first text came in from my friend Kate's husband. When are you coming home from the parade? Mm-hmm. It was like a sociological experiment. <laughs> all of our phones started blowing up with things like, where did you leave the Hudson soccer bag? What's the address of the birthday party? What are we going to give our son for dinner or for lunch? Did you, did you set it outside? Do the kids need to eat lunch? Yeah. My absolute favorite. And then what? (laughs) It's like, what the fuck do you think? It's new, you know, and I'm watching everybody just get more angry and angry. But, but what happened is nobody stepped up. Nobody said, we're still going to lunch and we're going to ignore these emails or our partners figure it out. It was a collective. Well, obviously we gave our partners too much to do. So we're just going to all skip lunch and go home. And that day got me on a quest to become obsessed with this idea of the emotional labor. It's called the mental load. It's mm-hmm. called invisible labor. But my favorite term is invisible work from 1986, the sociologist named Arlene mm-hmm. Kaplan Daniels. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about invisible work was exactly what you said before. It allowed me to realize that maybe the problem was my partner or all these partners of my friends did not see what we were doing. And that's how the should I do spreadsheet originated, which ultimately became the fair play system. But what it started was, was the best spreadsheet you could ever imagine two minutes or more from women all over the country that I didn't even know sourcing. What do you do that takes more than two minutes that your partner may not know you're doing? And you can imagine I got, you know, typical responses like making kids lunch, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, going to their doctor's appointments. But then even really funny ones, like this woman found my spreadsheet through a group of friends. And she said, you know, I got your spreadsheet at a book club. And I want to let you know that I didn't see Elf on the Shelf. That's one hour times 20 nights. So add that to your spreadsheet. And another woman I didn't know responded. She's like, what, you didn't put Girl Scout cookies ordering and sales on there. Oh, yeah. What about sunscreen? Yes, it's two minutes to apply, but it's 30 minutes for the chase. Yeah. And I, it was on the and chase. on. On and on. And it was this collective, beautiful nine-month experience to create a 98-tab spreadsheet with over 2,000 items of invisible work on it that was called the Should I Do Spreadsheet. And one day, with complete optimism in your mind, I sent it off to Seth. And just like you just said, wait his response, my nine-month project, and all Seth gives me is that one sad monkey, the monkey emoji that's covering his eyes. Yes. Didn't get the courtesy of even the three monkeys. I got one sad monkey covering its eyes. And that's the day I realized either I'm going to resign myself to just giving up and doing it all because I don't have, after nine months of doing this, if my husband doesn't even understand the emotional labor that went into creating this list, let alone wanting to address it, I could resign myself to doing it all, lose myself in the process, Mm -hmm. which so many 
unfortunately, uh, so many women do. Yeah. Or I could get my ass in gear, just like we were talking about, get my ass in gear and become my own client. Similar to how do you bring your own optimism and your own practice of mindset right. change into your own life? That was, that was the hardest part was saying, I develop systems. My day job is I'm an organizational management specialist. I develop systems, family systems for the most highly complex families in America, the ones with huge wealth, huge blended families, huge succession issues for very big companies. And I figured if I could do it for them, I could do it for myself. And that's really what the journey was. The journey to the fair play system was recognizing lists alone don't work, but the smallest details, like who's applying the sunscreen, Mm-hmm. It's leading to complete tit for tat scorekeeping and horrific resentment. Mm-hmm. And how do you get from there to a place where you can be, as I call, sort of divorced for married people? You can have mm-hmm. an unencumbered mind where it doesn't take divorce, but you can live in a marriage understanding that your partner is your actual teammate, mm-hmm. not your helper, but somebody who can have an encumbered mind to to take off some of that horrific mental load that women deal with. That was what took so long because I wanted to interview people that didn't look like me. So I interviewed 500 men and women that mirror the U.S. Census. And you also interviewed um, same-sex couples. Same-sex couples. As well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Same-sex couples. That was a really important part of, of the data set too. And what I would do is when there were patterns, I had codes that I would write. And then it allowed me and informed me to ask more questions of the next people I interviewed um, based on what I was hearing. So it took a long time, but I, what was what was so great about that journey was um, How I long? Like five and a half years of research okay. because the whole process has been eight years till today of actual research. And then I had to test the system. So then I had to get hundreds of beta testers to actually test fair play and tell me what was working and not because my favorite chapter of the whole book is the top 13 mistakes couples make mm-hmm. and the fair play fix. I wanted to see all the mistakes that quote unquote mistakes, you know, that people were identifying that they were making so that we can identify and address what they are. Can you explain just briefly what the system is like in in a daily way that a couple would do once they read your book? Absolutely. So the fair play system, I like to say it's very easy. It's not rocket science. It's based on 50 years of, of organizational management. Understand management science, or if you look at any of the Harvard Business Review guides to work-life balance and how to manage people, it comes out of, it's not just me speaking, but what it is, it's a way to systematize your home. And what I mean by that, people are scared by those words. Mm Because shouldn't love be free? Well, no, because if love is free, guess what? Then women are the ones who are wiping asses and doing dishes forever. Mm-hmm. because we are these default, especially in hetero cisgender relationships. And actually those gendered patterns I was saying to you before, uh, do transfer over to same-sex relationships. But this idea that women hold more, it's a systemic issue. And so if you think about what fair play, how does fair play counter that? Well, a system is so easy. All a system is, when I come to families, I explain it. All it means is, do you have clearly defined expectations in your home? Mm-hmm. Do you know your role? And is there fairness and transparency? There is not one couple who can say yes to all three of those things. So often, literally just like yesterday, the number one thing my husband and I say is we are having trouble define our roles and for each other to know what the other one's role is. And this is something that has been kind of new in the last, like really since we had a child and that's like over and over what it is. And I think more than even me, my husband would probably just love the shit out of fair play because it seems like you like really speak his language. Like he's like, I'm the one that needs to like, uh, you know, he loves systems. (laughs) Right. And he's he's the zero inbox. inbox. Yes. I'm the, exactly. I love him. And I will say, yes, the the beauty of fair play, the crazy thing for me was that we jumped off the how-to bestseller list onto the business bestseller list. And the amount of men telling me that they are um, reading it first, even though I write to women, and I do that intentionally yes. because there was a lot of complicit in our own oppression work that I had to write about that does feel uncomfortable to talk about, but important for women to understand. And also I love, you know, I'm a really big proponent of being your own advocate. 
in all different levels. And so I feel like this is something, instead of looking at a situation that so many of us can look at, because we, so many of us go through it and say, you know, I feel defeated or this is just not fair and really harping on that not fair. It really offers someone or a couple to do something about it and try something yes, out that yes, actually, and, and not it. just agency. It, yes, that's what I agency. love about your work, Dr. Chopra. I'll use your formal name <laughs> um, because it's, you are a doctor and that's important. And your work is exactly why I wanted to come on and speak with you because the idea of agency is so important. And I talk a lot about this. You can be upset with the system, of course, that makes us the she fault that has conditioned us to believe what we believe. And I talk about that in fair play. But ultimately, as Nora Ephron says, who I love. By the way, we love Nora Ephron too. And my husband's obsessed with her too. I think you'd really get along with my husband. I think I would love your husband. But you you can be the the victim of your own life or you can be the heroine, right? And of course, there are systems that will make that easier and privilege and make it easier for some people or not. But it is very important to understand that we have agency in our own lives. And that is, so what is the fair play system? All it is, is, I'm speaking, tell me what your husband's name is. Alex. Alex. Okay. So this is what I would say to Alex. Alex, it's just about mustard. So when you think, if you break down mustard, right, you think about it and you know this from the book, but you have to think about how did that mustard get in your refrigerator? How did French's yellow mustard get in your refrigerator? It's pretty simple, right? Somebody had to conceive that your second son, Johnny, likes French's yellow mustard with his protein. Otherwise uh, he chokes. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the conception phase, which is organizational management, project management speak. Then someone has to monitor that mustard for when it's running low and put it mm-hmm. on a grocery list for everything else that has to get done for the week. That in organizational management is what we call the planning phase. Mm-hmm. And then someone has to get their butt to the store to purchase the French's yellow mustard, right? Now that is what we call the project management execution, right? Now, What was so fascinating to me, I was not expecting this finding, but it became the core premise of fair play. Men, and especially in hetero cisgender relationships, were stepping in at the execution stage. Mm -hmm. They are going to the store to purchase the mustard and they bring home spicy Dijon, the gross mustard with the seeds every fucking time. And your kid is not going to eat the spicy mustard. And don't you sit at this table. Haven't you been sitting here for seven years watching Johnny dip his chicken nuggets into yellow mustard? And all of a sudden, we're not talking about mustard anymore. Right. We've gone outside the boundaries of the mustard, know your role conversation and expectations into you do nothing for me. I do everything for this family. Why are we even together? Mm -hmm. Um, You don't value me or you sob on the side of the road over blueberries. I love how you simplify this because it really does come down to the mustard because I was going to say, as you were giving that example, like, well, oftentimes, especially now my husband gets the mustard, but I have to be the one that is in those first two phases there where I have to be the one to be like, I know that Jag, my son, you know, likes teriyaki sauce. And I know that we get this particular one because he doesn't like the one that has spice in it. And I don't want him to eat the one that has sugar in it. And so we get the specific teriyaki sauce and I have to be the one that knows that it's running low. So that's already a lot of work that's no, invisible. No, that's everything. But that that's is everything. everything. I will everything. say it's everything. It is everything. The, the right. beauty of uh, doing so much research is that, thank God, no research has come out that has been antithetical to what I'm saying. Um, there was actually a really big, study, a Harvard study that just came out right before Fair Play was published in July when Fair Play came out last year in October. And it is a study that shows that women do the cognitive labor, what I call the conception and planning. They show exactly that, that it's everything. Men understand that they don't go into the office, assuming they're in a professional class. Mm -hmm. Um, But even men who I spoke to at U.S. Postal Service or men who are on assembly lines, They don't go into work and say to their manager, to their supervisor, what am I doing today? I'm just going to wait here to tell me what to do. It doesn't fly at all. Right, right. And we don't do that anywhere. Even my Aunt Marion's Mahjong group has more clearly defined expectations in the home. You don't bring snack twice, you're out. But the home is a place where we're, we're, we're dying in decision fatigue. Because we're it's chaotic. We're setting, we're setting the, deciding who's setting the table. We're hangy, hangry and we're cranky. We're running back out. To, men are having to run back out to the store because you forgot the milk. It's just a complete, total shit show. Yes. And when you don't systematize your most important organization, which is the home, and you don't do it in advance, then just like any organization that doesn't have systems in place, 
And it's why military men and coaches, ironically, love fair play the most. Because they're the ones who say, I would never put my point guard in for my center. I just don't mm-hmm. do that. Because I know that, or not if I want to win. Systems are important because they're about knowing your role. And when you know your role, it allows for so many less conversations about the boring, mundane shit about life and allows so many more open spaces for women and men to step into their exciting creativity and to really connect as husband and wife or wife and wife or husband and husband or whatever family situation you're in. So having said that with the tasks, is it at all based on skill and what someone is good at, or is it based on a random selection of what card you pick? It's a great question. So all I care about really, it's about owning the full mustard situation. When you keep the conception plan and execution together, it's life-changing. I know this now because there are thousands and thousands of people playing fair play who tell me about the life-changing magic of mustard. And it does, some people like South Beach diet, right? You can say, I'll take South Beach diet. Maybe I'll eat a little bit less carbs. Or you can be an avid disciple of keto and say, I'll never eat sugar again. I am an avid disciple because I created the system. But even people who don't play, quote unquote, the full game, fair play is about this idea that you keep the conception, planning, and execution together. You own your shit. When okay, you so someone that, is, that knows we need mustard, whoever knows we need mustard, and the then knows it's running low, that same person gets the mustard. Correct. And then what you do is if you want to redeal that card, these are the daily grinds. The daily grinds are 30 of the 100 fair play cards. So there's 100 cards that represent every single thing you have to do in your ecosystem. And I say that because it came out of the should I do list. So I'm very confident in my 100 cards. You can go on to fairplaylife.com. You can sign up for the newsletter. You can get more tools about what I call CPE. You can go on there and you can see exactly what it means to conceptualize, plan, execute dishes, for example. But Professor Darby Saxby is a psychologist and she's a uh, expert in the gender division of labor. She's at USC, right? At USC. And she was a consultant on fair play. And what I loved about her work was that she helped me double weight the cards. So while there's a hundred cards of fair play, there are 30 that women typically do because they're the grindiest. They're the ones you can't do on your own timetable. And they're the ones that men don't want to do. And so they do she falls on women, especially, like I said, in heterosis gender relationships. So why I don't care about a 50-50 split of the cards. What I do ask is that men step up to hold some of the daily grind cards. So what I mean by that is, yes, I, that's great that you pay the bills. It's great that you manage the money. And it's great that you do the lawn and plant. Mm-hmm. But I actually care about the things that are repetitive, that right. suck that are the daily grinds that have to be done every day. And those typically are things like dishes. Mm -hmm. Those are things like groceries. Those are things like homework that's now Mm -hmm. homeschool. Those are things like watching of the kids. Those are things like creating social interactions and playdates for children. Those are things like meal planning. Those are things like laundry. That's those. What I found in my 500 plus interviews was that we as a society view men's time as finite. Mm-hmm. like diamonds. Totally. And, and we view and value women's time as infinite, like sand. Absolutely. Now that is the core premise that has to change before we can actually enter a system. And what I mean by that on an individual level is that all of our time is diamonds. We just get 24 hours in a day. Mm-hmm. Now we know from a work perspective that women's time is not valued because women in the same job, if you're a woman of color, especially you get 60 cents on the dollar for every white man. But what I didn't expect was how much women were going to guard men's time and how men would guard their own time. Yes. Women said to me, I said, why are you the one holding the monitor or fixing the the garage door or picking up your son when they're sick from preschool? Mm -hmm. So many women said to me, well, my husband has the health insurance or my husband's job is more important than mine or I have more flexibility, right? Yes. We guard men's jobs. We look at them just as money as opposed to all the other things careers can give to us, which is toxic because even in the same job, men make more than us. So that means Mm -hmm. we would, this would be a losing argument for another hundred years. We also, as women say, we're better multitaskers. We're wired differently than men. Absolutely. Um, So for that one, I had to go to one of the top neuroscientists in this country. And he said- And aren't we really, uh, we're actually not. No, we are completely not. And on top of that, what he said to me was a day that um, was actually the only other day I cried, sobbed, 
uh, other than the blueberries day over over my complicit in my own oppression was when this man, when I asked him, am I wired differently? Am I better multitasker mm-hmm. for care, especially this male neuroscientist just looked at me confused and said, well, imagine Eve, I could give, we men could convince you women that you're better at wiping asses and doing dishes. How great for my half of the population. Why would I ever dispel that belief? Uh, um, absolutely. So that, that I cried, I cried that day. The other thing that women said to me were, was it was the time it takes me to tell him what to do. The mm-hmm. time it takes it's me better to tell to, him for me to do it anyway, to buy, the, to buy the teriyaki yes. sauce, I might as well do it myself. So for yeah. that one, I went to the top uh, behavioral economist, my good friend, Dan Ariely, who has a column in the wall street journal. And I said, is that a good argument for women? And the time it takes me to tell him what to do, I might as well do it myself. He said, that's the worst argument for women he's ever heard. Because it means you're going to be wiping asses and doing dishes for the rest of your life at the expense of your finite time. Our time is not infinite. So unless we're Albert Einstein and somehow we know how to fuck with the space-time continuum, Mm -hmm. which obviously I wish we could, but we can't. There's actually no way to find time the way women keep guarding men's time and say we can find time or give ourselves these excuses. So it requires us to retire what I call these toxic time messages. Now, Mm -hmm. one you brought up that men say to us, that I talk about besides you were spending your time on unnecessary things mm-hmm. was really toxic. One of the number one messages was if you don't have enough time, outsource or get more help. Mm-hmm. And so what I just want to say right now is that when I write here, I say receiving outside support is useful and can be a lifesaver for sure. If you're lucky enough to be able to afford an extra hand now and then to babysit or walk the door, it can help. But what most husbands father overlook is the full amount of time it requires to find and list schedule, delegate responsibilities, and often train and most certainly pay a babysitter, math tutor, housekeeper, or dog walker. In my interviews, I found no correlation between soliciting help and less resentment between couples. I mean, amen right there. You, I know you spoke about your own experience of feeling like, you know, things and the workload and the housework was unfair. And you use the word unfair. And now with creating fair play and using fair play. And this kind of goes back to the whole idea of being able to sort of practice what you teach. How has it really changed your relationship? Are you guys able to sustain it? And what are the days that have been the hardest? So for Seth and me, it started with him understanding just like Alex would, that's your husband's name, right? The idea of ownership. Ding, ding, ding. Once I said, we're going to CPE our own Mm -hmm. stuff. Seth is like, oh my God, you're stepping the fuck off my neck. Uh, I would love to own things. And we explained, you know, our, what we, I call sort of our conception planning execution steps. So I said to him, when you have garbage, I need all the steps done, the full ownership, like you would do at work from conceiving when the trash guy comes to putting the liner back in the bin, making sure we have enough trash bags, trash bags, carrying through your mistake. If the trash doesn't get out, figuring out how to take it to a dump. I don't care as long as I don't have to think about it. So Seth was really on board with trying this. This is when the system, when I started to finally say that day where I said, I'm going to either resign myself to doing it all or become my own client. Mm-hmm. I, we, I understood how to build systems. So I started to build my system and it was feeling really exciting because there were the conception planning and execution step for literally every single card, whether it be friendship and social media for your kids or dishes, right? From putting the, as my son says, the oil into the dishwasher, if you have one, all the way to having to remind Sorry, just a quick timer. interjection. Yes, when you get dealt a card, how long is that your task? Well, that like you said, it's a practice. So mm-hmm. typically some cards stay with you forever and some okay. cards re- are re-dealt every hour. So okay. I'll give you an example. So garbage has stayed with Seth since that day when we own he owned that card. But what I was happening, what was happening to me though, as I was developing the system was I was his garbage shadow. I was stalking him over garbage. Mm. I'd walk behind him in the kitchen and open the garbage with it was starting to overflow. Mm-hmm. I'd put a garbage liner on top of the sink. Like, and Seth was watching me and being triggered by the fact that I wasn't micromanaging own, own his car. So he said, this isn't working. So what I realized was that I told Seth the what mm-hmm. garbage had to go out, but I never told him the why about why it mattered to me. And so we sat down one day and I did an experiment. And I said, we've never had these types of conversations. The last time we took a vow was on our wedding day. But I want to talk about garbage and the vow I'd like us to take on. <laughs> I grew up in a single mom household, Seth. You know that we've been together a decade. 
but you actually don't know I didn't have a garbage can. Mm. And when I didn't have a garbage can, and on top of that, my mom worked nights and I had a disabled brother. And so he would ask for water. And so I'd go get water for him in the kitchen and I'd turn on the light. There'd be cockroaches and water bugs that would scatter. I was scared. I was alone. I was seven. And so when I see garbage, even a banana peel sticking out of uh, the garbage, Seth, I am seven again. I'm a latchkey kid taking care of a disabled brother with nobody there to protect me. And I'm abandoned and I'm triggered. And then Seth mm -hmm. was able to say to me, I've never thought about garbage. I had a, gar a housekeeper growing up. Mm -hmm. I slept on Domino's pizza boxes in my, my fraternity. So what happens when you're so divergent over something that has to get done every single day? Well, I'll tell mm -hmm. you, 30% of us divorce over it. Mm -hmm. But what you do in fair play when you have a card is it does not work unless you're willing to sit down as a practice and have some of those difficult conversations about why things matter to you. And then when you build your deck, quote unquote, your cards together on the deck that matters to both of you, you align your value system to understand that Seth said, you know what? Garbage doesn't matter to me, but obviously matters to you. It's not going out every day, but our minimum standard of care is that it's going to go out once a day. I will own it. Do not bother me. I promise you it'll go out before I go to bed. It's in my work calendar. Never mention garbage again. Mm -hmm. It was a miracle. The first time in my life, it was like Moses parting the Red Sea. Garbage started going out and it's been going out now for years and years since we've been playing. And that started building on this mutual trust and accountability that's ultimately led us to what I really believe now is a real, real teamwork that requires daily communication and talking about which cards we're holding every day or every week, um, or even to the hour of our homeschooling. But those investing in your, in your communication, like you're investing in toilet paper is the most important thing you can do right now. I love that because that really is, I mean, so much does, but that really blends together the work that I do and, and the work that you're doing, um, the why, and really having the tough conversations and in a partnership, no matter what it looks like, whether it's a romantic partnership or a co-parenting partnership that doesn't have romance or a work partnership or friendship, whatever it is, it's those tough conversations and expressing the why that really like that positive communication that's so important in everything that we do. I want to just touch on the fairness over equality, because I think that really touched a huge point for me because I am the one, like I said, I'm the first to admit, I am the one that is way more tit for tat. And I love, I'm guessing it has a lot to do with the fact that um, your cards are weighted. And so it's not really about each person having the exact same amount of cards but it's about taking ownership and sort of throwing out this idea of things are going to be 100% 50-50. They are not going to be. And sort of accepting that and being okay with it. But that really like it has to be even on the fact that it has to be fair and both people's time is valuable. That's it. You just got it. I mean, that if there's anything for your listeners to take away, it's that that it has to feel fair to both parties and both your time is seen as valuable. For me, Seth held no cards when we started this, literally zero except for money manager, which is a very patriarchal card to hold. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we started with one card. I said to him, take over extracurricular sports for our boys. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, when, and I know you think that means showing up at the Little League field, but I'm telling you, it means registering them. It means getting their Amazon cleats. It means talking to their friends. It means coming up with a, a carpool practice, you know, practice carpool. I never want to think about extracurricular sports again. I just want to show up and cheer mm -hmm. them on uh, with a helmet and sunscreen as our minimum standard of care. And alone, that, that got me six hours of my week back. One card. I know I've taken up so much of your time and I literally could keep going on and on and on. This was so, so eye-opening and I learned so much, which I knew I would, which is why I was so excited to um, interview you. And my husband's going to love this. I already love it. I think it's going to exponentially uh, benefit our marriage. Yeah. And I'm so excited to report back to you. Last question. And then the way that we end every podcast is we pull a card. If we were together, I would have you pull a card, right. but I'm going to pull a card for you from my card deck. I have the things are looking up optimism card yeah, deck. Yeah. I don't know if you have heard of it yet, but right. I'm going to pull a card and give you a right. little bit of homework, a prompt for you to do for today. Um, okay. So the last question is what is looking up? I know you've talked about, you're working on your second book right now on unicorn space, but what can we look forward to? What are you working on? What are you excited about besides 
fair play and unicorn space, which is actually enough. But yeah. is there anything what, else you want to let us know about? Is I believe we're at the biggest inflection point in our lives and our generation and the generation uh, even before us and after us is this idea that the invisible is now literally visible on Zoom. So I have so much optimism. Um, there's so many articles that say coronavirus is a disaster for feminism. There's one I'm looking at right now that says 70% of childcare is provided by women during work hours. But um, I'm seeing a transformation of invisible work becoming visible. I'm seeing kids on Zoom calls. I'm seeing the normalization of care. I'm seeing um, the idea of uh, work from home, which again is not the same as flexible work, but it's a start. Um, for, for, for families, I'm seeing uh, the valuing of care and caregiving. So that's what's looking up for me. And I will continue to fight for the policies that, that envelop fair play to break down the systems that have undervalued and underpaid care work, especially for women of color. And so, um, I feel really optimistic about the men and women, the cultural warriors, including you, Dr. Chopra that I met along the way. And um, the community that of, of people that are out there um, trying to work on these issues is something that I, I feel like is looking up. Thank you so much. I, I can't wait to use it Thank for myself. You. And you are benefiting so many people and so many couples. I'm, so I'm going to grab my yeah. card deck really quick. Okay. This is the one that is for you. Seek out a piece of positive, happy news right now. So many unbelievably horrible things are happening around us, and we are aware of most of them. It is fine to be aware of these things. However, so many incredible things are also happening around the world, and we are aware of so few of them. Try Googling something amazing happening. I mean, did you know that squirrels accidentally plant hundreds of trees each year mm -hmm. simply because they forget where they put their acorns? Or that the tiger population in Nepal has just doubled in size? Or that the Dalai Lama has launched a government school program named the Happiness Curriculum in Delhi serving over 800,000 students? So some point today, go out there. I'm sure you're already doing this, especially right now, but it is tough right now where, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of negative things happening. And I am the, the biggest proponent to say, I don't believe in ignorance is bliss. Actually, I believe you should be aware knowledge is power. And you might be that person that can actually do something different like you're doing, but along with seeking those types of news and, and stuff out there, try to actively seek out something positive and happy and miraculous. I love it. I will. I love that. Thank you so much, Eve. It was amazing chatting with you. Thanks so much for listening to Looking Up. For more optimistic content, follow me at Dr. Deepika Chopra. For more info and how to get your very own Things Are Looking Up optimism deck of cards, head to thingsarelookingup.co. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Our theme music is Me and Sade by Tommy, courtesy of Terrible Records. I'm your host, Dr. Deepika Chopra, and I'll see you next Monday for your weekly dose of optimism.